Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. We have a chance to ride out this Omicron wave without shutting down our country once again. You have sat there too long for all the good you have done. In the name of God, go. We need to recognize that Russia is now calling the shots here. Mad in their sleaze with a divided party. A prime minister losing the support of his backbenchers and governing shambolically. You're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Ewan Potts. And good afternoon, I'm Caroline Hepke. In today's special programme, we're looking at whether the government's plan to level up the UK will be a success. But first, in case you missed it, Downing Street has gone into crisis mode. Boris Johnson has lost his chief of staff, his principal private secretary, his director of communications, and most crushingly, his head of policy, Manira Mirza, who'd worked with him since 2008. The pressure for Johnson to step down has been growing among his own MPs. Even the Chancellor, Rishi Sunak, could only manage lukewarm support for his boss. Well, let's get to the subject of our Friday special programme. The government's long-awaited white paper on levelling up a key part of Boris Johnson's landslide election victory could hardly have appeared at a worse time with British politics at fever pitch. So to the 332-page white paper from the levelling up secretary, Michael Gove, the simple yet extremely challenging aim of the blueprint is spreading opportunity more equally across the country. I mean, it certainly is an ambitious effort, given Britain's deep and historic regional inequalities. Well, it calls for improvements in every area of life by 2030, from work and pay rates to public services and investment, transport, life expectancy, cutting crime, helping home owners and even boosting local pride. But critics see a formidable task with a sprawling range, lack of detail and most importantly, no significant extra funding. Well, let's speak to our first guest now, Lord Jim O'Neill, former chief economist at Goldman Sachs, briefly a treasury minister under David Cameron and current vice chair of the Northern Powerhouse. And it's uh, with that title uh, in mind that we invited you on the programme. Welcome. Thank you so much for being with us. Jim, on the aim of levelling up, there is a lot of the paper, as I read it, that really is about (laughs) British history. It goes back years. Um, and about why these inequalities actually exist. It sort of was a bit odd, I thought. Are the goals, though, in your view, the right one, these big, big aims? I quite admire you um, getting stuck into reading it all, was it, 330-odd pages? It's, uh, as I said uh, elsewhere in the past 24 hours, it was a bit like ploughing through a PhD uh, paper. Um, And it has the hallmarks linked to what you said also of one of the key uh, authors, Andy Haldane, the ex-chief economist of the Bank of England, as well as uh, uh, an important uh, person with a bit of history here, Neil O'Brien, a British MP that used to be a special advisor on devolution to George Osborne as Chancellor when I was in the Treasury. So Hmm. in that regard, I think as as a piece, as a lengthy document about what one would write, in trying to deal with a bizarre country like uh, the UK, particularly England, on 
the unevenness of our society and economy, it's, it's actually surprisingly good in my view. Uh, it, it's reminiscent of, um, reminds me in some way of the, uh, the City's Growth Commission report, which what I, I led uh, eight years ago, which sort of got me into the middle of all of this. So, okay. so, I, so I can't it's really criticise them on all of that. You're right. So it's interesting, and yes, it is interestingly written, and it gives you the history. But as an economist, Jim, can you take the plan seriously as a deliverable agenda, not just a PhD thesis? Well, um, you know, it's a bit weird. I don't know what's happening to me this week, but you know, I'm amongst many that don't find it that difficult to criticise this government about virtually anything. But you know, there is more in it. Uh, and around it than a lot of people expected, partly because, as again, as I'm sure you're aware, it has been delayed for a, a good year, and this is supposed to be the centrepiece of uh, the policy framework for the um, Johnson government. Um, but very importantly, um, what they've said about devolution, because uh, this is a critical part of Britain's long-term productivity problem and and uh, unequalness, in my view. Um, this is they've probably said the most important things about it since uh, Cameron and Osborne. So, some some important areas, particularly the northeast of England, one of the most struggling uh, regions, is now being resurrected to all the combined authority from Newcastle and Sunderland and so on. Uh, but importantly, other big stumbling blocks for the past few years, like the the never-ending arguments about one Yorkshire versus three different parts of Yorkshire having their own deals. That's all uh, been publicly resolved. Mm. They've identified 55 areas of the country that need specific attention for improving educational opportunities. And so there's a lot of things like that in there which are important, which uh, Mm -hmm. no government, including the Cameron one, had been that specific. So in this sense, there's, there's accountability about the issue and you know, as it links to the the, the, the considerable problems of, of, of the current government, which, of course, have got worse in the two days since it, it was launched. I, I, my own view is that this should be the sort of benchmark for judging any government going forward as to what they're going to do about these mammoth problems that the UK has faced for decades, and now we have a government that claims it's going to try and do something about it. doesn't fully answer your question. I mean, there's all these issues about money, uh, and whether we have a government currently that's capable of delivering anything. That's a pretty valid question this morning. But in terms of the issues and identifying what they think needs to be dealt with, in my opinion, as somebody that's thought about all this stuff a lot, it's actually better than I expected. Better than you expected. But the problem is much more complex and a north-south divide, isn't it? I'm a frequent visitor to your hometown of Manchester, and the centre yeah. of Manchester has been transformed. It's a, it's, a, it's a buzzing, booming city, but... Head out to Oldham or Ashton, and and those problems are, are are very real, aren't they? Does this do enough to address the problems of those those marginal areas? I mean, I'll answer in two ways. I mean, you're right to raise that. I mean, it, it, it often gets presented as sort of London and the southeast versus the rest, and not surprisingly, a lot of Londoners, including policymakers, are worried about London being levelled down. And anybody that spends any time in London knows that that is kind of pretty crazy because there are many parts of the capital 
which uh, are very disadvantaged and struggling too. And so uh, it's true everywhere, including the most prosperous places, and Manchester's a great highlight. If you look at the data, the, the limited data that is available in the UK for this sort of stuff, central mm-hmm. Manchester, since it had its first devolution deal seven years ago, has actually economically outperformed many parts of the country, but Greater Manchester has not because of the Oldhams and the Rochdales. And it's very important that some of this in, improvement that's going on in a number of big urban centres, Leeds is another one, yeah. uh, starts to spread to other areas. And uh, there are yeah. ideas in there about trying to deal with that too, but you know, nobody should underestimate the sort of multi-generational di- uh, dimension to this. Uh, you know, Jim, something that I- I've focused on, is like life expectation, for example, in some of these poorer areas are are enormous uh, problems in parts of the UK. Jim, just briefly, though, I I think it's fascinating that you have not written it off, that you think that there are interesting, Mm. very big and ambitious parts of this plan. But Mm. will it outlive Boris Johnson? Just very briefly. (laughs) Well, you know, you come to the crux of the matter of where we are. As I say, it's like we're talking two days after this thing's been announced and the scale of his problems have got even bigger if that was possible. And you know, who who knows? Lord Jim O'Neill, current Vice Chair of the Northern Powerhouse, thanks so much for joining us on Bloomberg Westminster. Well, let's speak to Bloomberg opinion columnist uh, Adrian Wardridge now. You say that the uh, Prime Minister should be given uh, credit for at least uh, trying to take on this uh, serious problem in, in the country. Is, is any of it actually deliverable? Well, first of all, it is a massively serious problem. Something happened in 2016, which was that more than half the country said that they were really worried about the direction of the country. And one of the things that they were most worried about was this structural inequality created by the north-south divide, by the number of people who, who felt left out. Uh, and so any government that uh, came after that you know, crushing verdict needed to deal with um, this problem. Um, and I think the government has dealt with it seriously. And, you know, given that Boris is at the heart of the government, he has dealt with it seriously. He allocated some of his best brains in the form of Michael Gove, in the form of uh, uh, Neil O'Brien, um, and luckily in the form of Andy Haldane, who's not a Conservative placement by any means. And they've produced a serious sustained argument, a serious sustained white paper. So I think to dismiss this as trivial or unimportant or just wag the dog stuff would be massively to underestimate what's going on. It's a serious, it's a serious work about a serious challenge which has dogged this country for a very, very long period of time. Yeah, uh, but and it, you can't fault it for ambition. Uh, you know, it's talking about uh, everything from pay to investment, uh, to transport, education, the way that we live our lives, our healthcare, every part of, of, of the country, really, even about how we feel about our local area. But the criticism has not been around the lack of ambition, but the lack of detail and the lack of money. Well, it's more than 300 pages long. So I think it is you know, reasonably detailed. And I think Neil O'Brien has been thinking about this subject for, for a decade. He's an extremely serious thinker about this. And if you talk to him, he is absolutely um, a person who really knows in a sort of treasury style all the detail about mm. what's going on. He, he knows about how government works. And I think if you look at a lot of, the, about a lot of this detail, such as about the way that arts funds funding should be reorganized or the way that the metrics that are used to allocate 
treasury subsidies should be used. There's a lot of nitty gritty there. And I think also um, we're in a period in which there's a sort of great renaissance of thinking about regional policy, local policy, about how to level up the country, about how to revitalize parts of the country. And I think this is this is the Whitehall dimension Mm -hmm. of a big renaissance in thinking. So I've got every possible form of criticism of the way the government's operated and the way that Boris has run things. But I think this is the one thing that the nation also really, the policy community ought to rally behind. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Well, let's get back to the enormous challenge addressing the gaping inequalities in Britain, not just between North and South, but between thriving towns and those left behind. Our next guest is the Labour Mayor of the North of Tyne Combined Authority, Jamie Driscoll. Jamie, welcome back to the programme. Thank you for being with us. Now, the Northern Powerhouse Vice Chairman, Lord O'Neill, that we just spoke to, was actually very positive about the government's ambitious plans. He didn't write them off immediately. Does the white paper give you a plan, parameters for what levelling up actually is? Good morning, Caroline. Pleasure to be on. The interesting thing, I think, about the white paper um, is that it sets out what we need to be dealing with. You know, we all want better education for our children. We all want to close health inequalities. But it doesn't say how it's going to do it or where the money's coming from. So let's just say it's a point in the right direction. I think the good thing about it is it does acknowledge that devolution is the way to do it. The people in local areas are so much closer to the decisions. We can knit things together in a way that you can't do centrally from Whitehall. You know, it's like trying to score a goal from the centre circle. It's impressive when it happens, but it happens very rarely. Um, So I think that's the good thing. But I would like to, you know what, I would like to see them get the checkbook out. Get the checkbook out. Is there a danger that the North East is going to miss out again? It's a region which has underperformed under governments of, of both parties. What are your priorities uh, for, for levelling up with, 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 with cost attached? It is um, a risk. You're quite right about that, Ewan. And it has been going for a long, long time. So what I've done in our combined authority is essentially create jobs. And if these are good, well-paid permanent jobs in emerging industries, for example, then that's what makes the long-term difference. If people are in, if people have got money in their pockets, it actually half hour of the social and economic problems tend to disappear right down to high streets. High streets are more thriving in areas where people have money to spend. So that's been our aim. It's good to see one line in the white paper. I've been working for two and a half years now with government ministers to try and expand our devolution deal. And there's an acknowledgement now that governments are going to negotiate with us to get that over the line. Now, that's going to bring transport investment here. And there's other things I want, such as regional wealth funds to help us support SMEs, to help us support businesses to grow and expand, particularly over that sort of chasm of doom of scale-up. Um, and that's actually, I think, what's going to give the economic foundations of the Northeast for decades to come. 
Okay, so there was talk in the white paper of, yes, building on uh, devolved powers and replicating the Metro Mayor's system in more places. What about the specifics? I mean, what actual powers do you think the government um, is going to transmit to local regions? What would you want to have in your own hands that you don't have now that would mean that these 2030 goals are actually achievable? There's very little detail, actually, about exactly what they will do in the white paper. But to answer the question, what would I like? I would like to see an end to competitive bidding. It's always been the case for for a long time now that uh, investment goes to where you get the highest book value of asset creation, which leads to places where land value is high is where the investment goes. Um, There is a signal that they need to change that, which is very welcome. That's been a signal for a long time. I do want it to actually happen and and not just be a signal that it's going to happen. So the devolution so that we can knit things together so that we can have that pipeline of skills right from schools through retraining to employment to investment in SMEs to R&D in our regions and to be working directly with us rather than lots of different government departments trying to coordinate that from 300 miles away, then that's actually what's going to make a difference for the people in this part of the world. Well, tell us why it's important to have a mayor. What can you do that the, the authorities that you replaced couldn't do? Why is it important to have one voice speaking for your area? Well, actually, that's a really good question, Ewan, because I would like to see a lot of funding restored to local authorities. That does make a difference. They're the ones who are doing things like health and social care, filling in potholes all of which affect people's lives. But there are things that just don't don't stop at local authority boundaries. So if you're thinking about transport across a region, there are very few people who live and work in their same local authority. You know, from where I am, the people who live in Gateshead work in Newcastle. A lot of the people who live in Newcastle work in Gateshead. So the transport system is something that has to be coordinated across an area. And likewise, things with inward investment. I've brought seven big tech firms here already in the past two years. Now, when they're going to, wherever they go in our region, the jobs are spread around the region. So rather than it getting into sort of parochial and competitive local battles, these are mm. where it works better if you see a region as a single economic entity. Uh, and that's the level of coordination that Metro mayors bring. Okay, a last thought. On the same day as the White, House, uh, the White Paper was released, the NAO, National Audit Office, pointedly came out with a report saying that the government actually doesn't know what works because it doesn't track the money that it spends effectively. It's made that criticism before around the pandemic funds, loans, etc., that there wasn't enough tracking. Do we actually in this country know, and do you locally know what really works, what bang you get from the pound that is spent locally? You know what, you're spot on, and that is the question that I wish more people would ask, actually, Caroline. Um, Mayoral combined authorities are the most scrutinised bodies that there are. Everything we do has to be reported back to Treasury. And we've just been through our gateway, first stage of our gateway review process, it's called, and we've got a, a resounding value for money. For every pound we spend creating jobs, three pounds is returned to Treasury and increased taxes. For every pound... We, we spend, we lever in over £3 of private investment. And all of the jobs, so I, by now I should have 900 jobs in the pipeline. It's actually 4,487. And we only count them if it's a full-time job held by someone for more than a year and our investment made a difference. So there's no multipliers in there. There's no uh, um, guesswork or flim mm. So on our level, at least, 
we, we account for things in terrific detail. Um, and if that were done more often, I think we would have a much better evidence base. Mm-hmm. Fantastic to get that perspective. Thanks so much for joining us. Jamie Driscoll, uh, he's the Labour Mayor of the North of Tyne Combined Authority, saying that uh, mayors are the most scrutinised parts of government as uh, uh, the government plans to devolve more power uh, to the regions. So on our levelling up special programme then today, we've talked about the towns and the cities left behind. But what about the countryside? Let's get the view of the Country Land and Business Association because it represents 28,000 farmers, businesses and landowners. Uh, The president, Mark Tufnell, uh, who is a farmer growing grain across 2,000 acres, joins us now. Mark, so good to have you on. What does this levelling up white paper, do you think, offer in terms of the ambition for rural areas? I notice the government wants each region in the UK to have a globally competitive city at the heart of it. What about the bits around it, rural Britain? Well, thank you very much for having me on the programme. Um, and apologies for my voice um, with a bit of a croak in there. I think the overall um, white paper itself doesn't do a huge amount for the rural areas um, at all because so much of what the government wants to do in rural areas is being left until a bit later this year, as Lord Bennion explained to me on the telephone where he phoned me up on Wednesday. The one thing I would give credit to the government for in its 12 mission statements is mission four, which talks about Project Gigabit, which of course is going to bring Gigabit capable broadband and 4G coverage by 2030, with 5G coverage for the majority of the population as well. But I do note that actually that's a watering down of what they Mm. said before. Previously, they said it was going to be in by 2025. So they've pushed it back by five years. Um, I'm pleased with the R&D concept because they're going to push spending outside of London, Oxford and Cambridge where at the moment they spend 47% of R&D spend, where only 20% of the population live. So we're hopeful that spending will come down, trickle down to the agricultural colleges, and we get some R&D spend within agriculture. But aside from that, I'm afraid to say there's very little. And so we're we're disappointed. Um, And it's areas that we'd like to see covered, like um, planning, That needs a complete overhaul. Um, And I'll give you a a case in point, actually. You were talking earlier about funding. At the moment, in the main metropolitan areas, um, local authorities spend £5.50 per resident population on planning policy, compared with only £3 per resident in North West England, West Midlands and Yorkshire. I, so I wanted to ask you about this problem. Is underfunded. Yes. There's been huge house price uh, inflation in the countryside during the past two years. How, how much of a problem is, is that for people? I think what we're seeing is a move of people from the cities to the countryside where they realise they can do work that's working from home, provided, of course, they can get broadband. What it's then doing is putting people who want to work in the countryside um, in sectors that are not as well paid, it's putting them at a huge disadvantage. And what we would like to see is small-scale housing developments for affordable homes to breathe new life into rural communities. And under the current planning regime, you can't get that because unless you're in a development zone, 
unless you have a large area on the edge of the largest um, town, you cannot get it. So if you're, for example, in a small village and you only want to have a few extra homes put in in order to help save and secure the local school, then it's simply not possible at the moment with the way the planning regime is set up. But we think that's a key area for the government to look at. Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.